Thank you for listening to the following sermon from Pine Grove Community Church in Rylander, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit us at pinegrove-wi.com. We hope you enjoy the sermon. All right, if you would all grab a Bible and turn to the book of Galatians chapter 5. That's where we are this morning. Galatians chapter 5. And we will be uh, looking at the fruit of the Spirit this morning. But in Galatians, we've been seeing the importance of the one true gospel. The good news of the gospel is that there is justification available. Though you have sinned against a holy God, you may be declared righteous and therefore acceptable to God. This justification is only possible, of course, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And it comes to you only through your personal faith in Jesus, through you entrusting yourself to Him for the forgiveness of your sin, for eternal life. God declares you then justified, righteous before Him and acceptable to Him. And because you are justified by faith, you are free free of sin's controlling power, free to give yourself to loving God, and also free to love and serve other people. So in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16 and and moving forward, we're moving now beyond the doctrine of justification by faith. We've seen that quite a bit. And we're considering how to live out this freedom now that is ours in Christ. For freedom you have been set free. So how does this play out in working through chapter 5? And so God here gives us more of this practical playing out of the new life of Christ that is within us. Right? Now, some people would argue that the Bible is antiquated. Right? It's out of date. It doesn't apply much anymore. But that is certainly not true at all. The Bible is alive and active It's critical to how we view the world and the things happening around us. It's important as we understand our lives and who we are and what our lives are to be all about. And so its truths remain for all time. And so as we come to Galatians this morning, allow the Holy Spirit to take God's Word and to apply it directly to you, directly to your life and where you are right now. So let's pray and ask God to to do that. Father, as we open up your word now, please um, help us to understand the truths that are here by your spirit. Give us application to our lives. And as we prayed earlier, let us not be just hearers of the word, but doers. And so God, would you, by your spirit, bring application to us and grow us and conform us in the image of Christ, to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first thing we want to look at this morning is the review of the battle. We've seen the battle here in chapter 5 already. If you recall in verse 17, this is an ongoing battle with the desires of the flesh, right? The the passions and desires of the flesh, they are in contrast with the desires of the Spirit, right? And this is an intense battle for us as believers. It's one we cannot escape. It's ongoing. And so the desires of the flesh or sinful flesh are in contrary against the desires of the Spirit. They're opposed. They come against each other. 
They have different goals, different desires, different directions to move you in. And so it's only in your freedom in Christ that this battle is recognized or realized, right? Before you came to faith in Christ, you were a slave to sin. That's what the Bible says, right? You're a slave to sin. There's no battle. Passions of the flesh, the desires within are what have control over you. But now that you've come to faith in Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, has come into your life, and now there's this battle between the old and the new. right? The old flesh, the old sinful nature, and the new life in Christ. So this battle is here. We see that the works of the flesh are evident in verse 19. They're listed out for us here, all the re- results of those. Now, as you look at that in verse 19, right? The, the works of the flesh are evident Right? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, right? Now some of you will recognize that some of those things apply to you in your life. And others will say, ah, those aren't for me. And yet, if you look at the next phrase there, and things like these. Oh, shoot. guess this does apply to me, right? I guess there is application after all. So the, the battle is real here. And so for the Galatian church, is one of the problems seems to be fighting within the church as a result of that. Look at verse 15. All right, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. There's a warning by Paul. Flip over to verse 26, which we'll get to in a little bit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So the more you move away from the truth of God's word, the more this chaos and difficulty in relationships can come together, right? This is what happened in Galatia, in the churches of Galatia, right? They were starting to move to a different gospel, starting to let that influence come in, and it caused division within them. So when you move away from the truth of God's word, from its sufficiency for all of life, these problems arise. When you add your thoughts and your opinions and your feelings to God's Word, you get into big trouble. Right? It's not good. And so we see some of this happening in the the churches here. So we want to be a church that holds to the truth of God's Word and that does not waver from it. So let's read our verses for today, starting verse 22 through the end of the chapter. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so in this battle of the flesh and the spirit, we want to consider further these passions and desires that are mentioned here. Right? So here we look back at verse 24 again. Right? And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So first notice it says, have crucified. Right? Past tense. In one sense, this 
fight. This battle is already done. Right? But in verse 17, we saw the, the ongoing battle that continues. Right? So in another sense, it's a process that's c- continuing on. We see this in our spiritual life in different things. You are saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. Right? And so this is an, another thing. We have crucified uh, the sinful nature, the flesh, and yet it's this ongoing thing that we continue in, this process. So let's look at some other verses as we consider what these these passions and desires, where they come from. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, towards the end of your Bible. 1 John chapter 2, in verse 16. Here's what we read. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So these desires of the flesh are from the world. They're not from the Father. They don't originate with God. right? They are not of the Holy Spirit. They're of the world. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Right after Galatians is Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Here's what we read. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So here we see these elements coming against us. We see the world, things of the world. We see the devil, the enemy and the flesh. So these are all working together to carry out or help you carry out your sinful desires and to keep you separated from God, to keep division between you and a right relationship with God. This is what is naturally within you. right? These passions and the desires. And the result of living in them and carrying them out is, as we see here in Ephesians, Wrath. Wrath of God. His righteous anger and punishment for sin. Sinful man against a holy God. Sin deserves punishment, a right punishment. Right? Look back again at chapter 5 in Galatians and verse 21. This is what we saw last week. Verse 21. He says, I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things, those who continue in them, live in them, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So these are the options, right? The wrath of God or the kingdom of God. These are the end results, the two possible end results. So those who think God doesn't matter, that they can just ignore him, are mistaken, right? It's one or the other. Wrath of God because of sin or kingdom of God through faith in Christ, right? And so look back again at verse 24 then in chapter 5. Verse 24 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus. So how is it that you belong to Christ Jesus? Through faith, right? 
Through faith. That's it. That's how we belong to Christ. Jesus has purchased you by the pouring out, the shedding of His blood. Right? We sang about that earlier. His blood poured out. Paying the death price. Receiving God's wrath in your place. That through faith you might be forgiven. So you belong to Christ because He has purchased you through faith. You are now His. You're His possession. He owns you. He oversees you. You are His. He is your Father now. God is your perfect heavenly Father. So those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Well, what does it mean to crucify? To kill? To torture? To put to death? To destroy, right? To put an end to it completely and finally, right? So those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Those passions, those desires, the, the evil desires within us have been put to death. They're done. They're put away, right? So again, in one sense, it is done. And yet then in the other sense, we continue the, the ongoing battle, right? So when you came to faith in Christ and trusted yourself to Him, you saw your sin, I have no hope, I trust myself to Christ and His work on the cross, your flesh was killed, crucified, done away with. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, the old has passed away. It's gone, done but we continue the, the challenge of living it out now, right? That's the challenge for us. This is where the process of us battling the, the outworking of these passions and desires come into play. Turn to Romans chapter 6 from Galatians, a little bit back to the left in your Bible. Romans chapter 6. Here's where we read. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Romans 6, 6. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we should no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been free, set free from sin. So here's the point. You're done with it. Don't live in it anymore. Don't live in sin. It's been crucified. It's been rendered powerless in your life other than what you give yourself over to it to live within that power of sin. The power of sin is gone. Don't live in that which is already dead and powerless. Don't give yourself to it. Your flesh, your sin nature was judged and sentenced at the cross and done away with. Victory and freedom has been provided by Christ in His death. Right? For freedom, you have been set free. Don't go back to it. Right? Don't live in it any longer. So look back at verse 24 again. Galatians 5, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Okay, so here, passions and desires of the flesh, right? Don't just kill the action of sin, the outplaying of it, 
but also kill the desire for sin, the desire within, right? Some people will claim, well, it's okay if I have these thoughts or feelings as long as they don't act out on them. No, no, no. Sin is thought, word, and deed, right? So there's still sin within us that needs to be crucified, that needs to be killed, that needs to be battled. Just because it doesn't play out physically doesn't mean that it's gone or that it's not there. Kill the action of sin. That's good. That's important. Crucify that, but also crucify the the desires and the passions within. To tell yourself, well, just, just stop sinning. Try hard to stop sinning. Usually doesn't work very well, does it? It doesn't work. Repentance. Repentance is what is needed more than anything. Repentance. That's how you continue to crucify the flesh. Repentance. What is repentance? Well, it's a change of mind and a change of desire. That's not just a change of action. That's part of it. But it's a change of mind, a change of desire, right? Moving completely away from sin and its desires and toward Christ and obedience to Him. So your motive in what you do matters, right? You could have a motive to avoid sin and to stop sinning. That's a good motive. But a much better and much more powerful motive is a striving to honor God in all things and to live for Him in His glory. That's going to get you much farther than just try not to sin. Right? It's changing the desire within from what I want and my passions and my desires to, to the desire to honor God and to glorify Him with my life. Right? That's the repentance of desire within. That's crucifying the flesh with its passions and its desires. So what is your motive in life? What's your motive in crucifying the flesh? How do you go about it? Do you consider it? Do you take it seriously? Or do you just try not to sin too much? Right? Attack it. Kill it. Crucify it. Turn back to Romans in chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Here's what we read. Romans chapter 13 and verse 14. We read, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Make no provision for the flesh. No provision. Don't let it even have a chance in your life. Right? Crucify it over and over again as much as needed. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily to crucify the flesh, to put it to death. Don't let any opportunity for it. Don't give it any opportunity in your life. Right? So turn back to Galatians. Chapter 5, verse 26. We've looked at this verse a little bit a couple times, but there's a final warning here in verse 26. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So I think the key word here is the word become. Right? Become. Let us not become conceited. This too is a process. Right? So our growth in Christ is a process. Our growth into areas of sin is a process. And it can be very deceptive. Right? So here you go. Don't become these things. Here's some applications. Siblings, brothers and sisters, 
Are you becoming conceited, thinking more highly of yourself than you ought in relationship with your brother or sister? Fathers, are you provoking your children with unnecessary prodding? Right? Church attenders, are you envying others? Are you looking down on them, speaking poorly of them? Right? And there are, of course, a whole lot more applications you can make for yourself in these various relationships that we see, in these passions, desires. Okay, so passions, desires, we're in this battle with them. And so now let's dive into the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit. So fruit is a product, right? It's a result, it's an outcome of something, right? So Friday, Becky and I went to pick apples. And those of you who picked apples, you know that there's quite a harvest this year. Lots of apples on the apple trees, right? So we picked a whole bunch of apples, but the apples are a product, a fruit of a good tree, right? A good tree. And so that's a picture of it. It's a fruit. It's a result. It's an outcome. And so in this case, the outcome of the something is the outcome of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. You'll note here the fruit is a singular result. Right? So technicality, it's not the fruits of the Spirit, but it's fruit. It's a singular outcome. The one result of, there's nine aspects that we looked at with the kids, right? Nine different aspects that are given to us here, but the one result is growth in Christ and in His likeness. That is the fruit the product of the Spirit. So it's not a checklist to accomplish. Yeah, you can work at improving those, but that's not what this is. It's not a checklist to accomplish. It's a transformation to experience. As you are in relationship with Christ, these things are increasing in your life. They're an increasing measure through faith. Right. But even though it is a singular fruit, there's... Nine aspects given to us here. They seem to be really quickly in three categories, if you want to look at that. First three aspects here seem to be Godward, relating to relationship with God. Second three seem to be relating to relationships with others. And the last three aspects are kind of relating to yourself or things within. All right? Um, but you'll notice here, this fruit is of the Spirit. Right of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit worked to bring forth this fruit within you as you follow Christ. Right? Now, who likes DIY projects? Do it yourself, right? DIY projects, do it yourself. That's not what this is. This isn't a DIY, do it yourself project. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. He's doing the work within you. Right? So we want to look at each of these aspects now, this this fruit uh, individually. And so let's run through them. So first and foremost, we see love. Love, this is the word agape. If you've heard of this before, it's a God-like love. right? This isn't just a lovey feeling that you have for somebody else. It's not just a fondness. This is a divine, self-sacrificing love of God that we grow in in our lives as well, 
Right? We sang earlier of the love of God. He gave himself. He sacrificed himself for you. This is the type of love that we're talking about here. It's an active love. It's a committed love. You're committing to another. And so this is two aspects. One, this is your love for God. Right? Matthew 12, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It's giving yourself to God in full obedience. Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Right? So it's love for God. It's also love for others. Right? We saw in Galatians 5, verse 14, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Give yourself, sacrifice yourself, be committed. Right? John 14, Jesus said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Romans 12, love one another with brotherly affection. Right? So, are you loving God well by seeking to know Him and obeying His Word? Are you loving others well, serving them in love? Right? Are you growing in this aspect of love? Second aspect is joy. Joy, this is delight, it's gladness. Right? This is an inner joy. It's not based on circumstances, but it's an inner joy. It's a result of knowing God and trusting what Jesus has accomplished on your behalf. It's knowing your true identity in Christ, having contentment with that, joy in that, in all that God has done. So do you have joy in God and in the life that he's given you? Is your joy evident? Do you express it with smiles and mannerisms? Right? So are you growing in this aspect of joy? Next thing we see is peace. Peace this is a peace of mind. It's a tranquility. It's a, a safety. So again, this is an inner peace, right? It's not based on the circumstances going on around you. It's a harmony of relationship, right? So that we, we know that we have peace with God. That's secured for us at salvation. We have ultimate peace with God in our standing with Him. And yet we have peace of God that's kind of uh, continuing as we are trusting that He is in control, that we don't have need to worry or to fear because we can trust God, peace of God that plays out in our lives. Right? Peace is having a restful spirit. We're not uptight. We're not filled with anxiety all the time. We have peace knowing God is in control. So do you have peace in your life? Are you free from great anxiety? Do you have kind of a steady calmness about you? Are you growing in this aspect of peace? That next aspect we see is patience. Patience, long-suffering, forbearance. Patience is not uh, reacting negatively to things and to people around you. You're not retaliating. You're being thoughtful and delaying responses and reactions to others. Right? There's a slowness and avenging, avenging wrongs that are done against you. Patience is putting up with other people who you aren't particularly fond of. Right? Having a patience with them. It's brushing off their annoyances. Not letting them get under your skin. So do you live patiently with other people? Do you hold off on firing back at them? Right? Do you allow God's Spirit to do His work in them? 
right? Do you see them as a work in progress, right? That God's working in them as well. Are you growing in this aspect of patience? Next is kindness. Kindness, considerate of others, being friendly, showing care and concern, right? Kindness is thoughtfulness towards others. It's tolerance towards them. It's an uprightness and excellence in how you interact with other people. So think of someone who you come in contact with on a regular basis who you don't appreciate very much. Right? Kindness is being friendly and showing care for that person. Right? Kindness. So do you show kindness to the people around you? Are you consider them, thoughtful of them? Are you growing this aspect of kindness? Next is goodness. Goodness, virtuous, upright in heart and soul. Right? Goodness is being benevolent towards others, being generous toward them. It's doing good to others. Right? It's doing good to them even, them even when they're undeserving of your goodness. Right? That sounds a lot like grace, doesn't it? Right? Giving people what they don't deserve. Grace, goodness. Goodness is being gracious to others. So do you have goodness about you in your relationship with others? Are you gracious in your interactions with people? So goodness, are you growing in this aspect of goodness? Next, faithfulness. Faith, faithfulness. So first it's having faith. It's trusting God and believing all of his promises, living in them, living them out, right? But then it's an act of faith. It's being trustworthy, being reliable, living consistently without wavering. Faithfulness is a steady walk with Jesus. Right? It's consistency in your relationships. It's putting in a good day's work every day. Right? It's following through on your word. It's holding to your commitments. Right? So are you faithful in your marriage? Are you consistent and reliable at work? Can you be counted on to follow through with what you say you're going to do? Others here at church have confidence in you for what you're going to do, what you're going to accomplish. So are you growing in this aspect of faithfulness, trusting God and living a faithful life? Next, gentleness. Gentleness, meekness, humility. Gentleness is remaining calm. It's not getting worked up over little things. It's being careful in your interactions with others again. It's being thoughtful in the words you use and the tone in which you use them. Gentleness in this matter is how you are to restore someone, also we see in Scripture, who is in sin, right? Restore them with gentleness. We aren't overly harsh with those who are in sin. We restore them in gentleness. It's also the manner in which you are to make a defense of the gospel, we read in Scripture, right? Defend with gentleness, right? So, are you gentle in your interactions with others? Are you careful and thoughtful? Is there growth in gentleness in your life? And then lastly, self-control. Self-control, restraint, right? Not being wild and out of control. It's not giving in to the desires and the passions of the flesh. Having self-control over those things it means you have mastery over yourself. You're in control of your mind and in control of your actions. You don't let your mind go off in all these crazy directions, right? Having dominion 
rule over your passions and desires. It's claiming victory over your sinful desires. Right? Self-control, restraining them. So do you have self-control in your life? Do you keep yourself on a godly path? Do you keep yourself free from sin? So self-control, are you growing in that? So these are the listed aspects here, the fruit of the Spirit. A few more things for us to think about along these lines. First, it's important to understand that the fruit doesn't justify you. Right? We talked about justification being right with God, in a right standing with God. The fruit doesn't justify you. It's not what saves you. Right? You are saved through faith in Christ alone. And the fruit then, the fruit of the Spirit is the result of that justification, the result of your salvation. The Spirit works that out within you as you pursue after Christ. It's not what saves you. It's the outworking of your salvation. And then again, notice this is a singular fruit. but That contrasts with verse 19, the works, plural, of the flesh, right? Verse 19, we see the works of the flesh that are produced. Those are an outpouring of you and what's naturally in you. Works, multiple. Many are the capabilities of you to sin, right? That's within us. That's that old nature. The old nature within us, though, can't produce this fruit of the Spirit. It's of the Spirit. It's an outpouring of Jesus within you, right? A life of faith in Christ produces this single, unified fruit of Christ-likeness within you. Fruitfulness is simply becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, growing in His image and in His likeness. You are a Christian, a little Christ. You have His name. So you're to be like Him, and the Holy Spirit transforms you more into Christ-likeness, into His image. And so this fruit is to be growing and expanding the life of Christ in you as you pursue after Christ in faith. Right? And so when you recognize that in you, praise God because it's His good work in you. The work of the Holy Spirit in you. So next as we continue on, we see that there is no law. Right? Look at the end of verse 23. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, uh, oh, excuse me, verse 23. Gentle self-control against such things, there is no law. So law is a rule, it's a regulation, it's a principle, right? No law can force the uh, fruit of the Spirit within you. No law can prevent it from taking place within you. No law can condemn the, the fruit when it comes into your life. There's no law, there's no prohibition of the fruit of the Spirit within you. Right? Now laws are meant for restraint. Right? Restraint. There's no law, there's no restraint to the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You can let it grow freely and abundantly. Right? There's no limits placed on the fruit within your life. You can have as much kindness in your life as you desire, right? as God's Spirit produces in you. Now let's consider God's law. Much throughout Galatians, we've been looking at the law of God, right? Again, that law, the works of the law don't justify us. Right? But the law does serve a purpose. So God's law, there's no law against the fruit of the Spirit. None of God's laws contradict this fruit of the Spirit. Right? 
In Deuteronomy, you won't find restrictions on the amount of joy that you can have. Right? In Leviticus, you won't find it written that you're to forego faithfulness. Right? There's no law. It doesn't tell you that every third day you're required to be wild and out of control. Right? There's no law against the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, if you look back at verse 14, we see some of the law, right? For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the fruit of the Spirit is completely in line with God's law and all of Scripture. There's no law against it. Nothing contradicts it, right? Nothing comes against it. There's no law. And then we can see the relationship to the Holy Spirit, right? This is the Holy Spirit's work, the Holy Spirit's involvement. So this is the process of sanctification, of ongoing spiritual growth in Christ. It comes through relationship with the Holy Spirit, right? We see this throughout this passage. Verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Verse 18, be led by the Spirit. Verse 25, live by the Spirit. Verse 25, keep in step with the Spirit. Right? So let's consider this term, by the Spirit, in the Spirit, what they actually mean. Right? Living, walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, simply means you are living a life of faith in Christ. Right? It's just a consistent faith walk in obedience to God's Word, following God, living faithfully, even in the little things, like attending church, resisting the temptation to sin, investing in relationships, just the good, normal, everyday, ordinary things of life. Right? Seeking after God and His kingdom. Living by the Spirit is not some extraordinary experience that you need to seek after and try to find somehow. Right? It's not this big emotional experience that you need to just grasp at trying to, trying to have this in your life. Right? It's just simple walking, faithful obedience to Christ. Turn to John 15 real quick. The Gospel of John, chapter 15. We see this. Most of you are familiar with these verses. John chapter 15, verse, starting in verse 4, Jesus speaking here. Here's what he says, John 15, 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? So abide, remain, dwell, live in Christ. There's no fruit of the Spirit apart from this. Right? The fruit of the Spirit grows in your life as you consistently and faithfully live a life following after Christ, seeking to know Him, walking in obedience to His Word. That's where it comes from. You have to yield yourself to the work of God in your life. Now back in Galatians chapter 5, look back at verse 25. Verse 25 says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Right? Don't go off to the side. Don't fall behind. Keep in step. This is orderly. 
You are to stay in line with the Spirit. Okay? Now, raise your hand if you've ever been in a marching band before. Who's ever been in a marching band? Lots of people, all right? So you're familiar with a cadence, right? March to the cadence, right? You stay in line. You hear the beat. You stay connected with that. You keep marching in line with that. In step with the cadence, right? That's similar to the Holy Spirit here. If you get off of that drum cadence, what happens? There's chaos. People tripping over each other. Instruments falling all over, right? Stay in line, okay? This is similar to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like the drum line. Stay in step. Keep in step with it, right? Or think of a three-legged race. How many of you have ever done a three-legged race? Right? You're connected with another person. If you're not in step with that other person, what happens? You trip and fall, right? Fall all over the place, right? Stay in line. Keep in step with your partner, right? This is similar to the walk with Christ. Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit, right? We're connected, right? Now this comes through you pursuing after Christ, right? doesn't come, you don't keep in step with the Spirit by just sitting and hoping something happens. It's you seeking after a God through faith in Christ, continually, ongoing, faithfully, right? And so this fruit of the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, this is divine enablement, right? Divine enablement, divine work in you, Holy Spirit at power, at work in your life as you faithfully pursue after Him. Consistent growth in the fruit of the Spirit, growth in Christ-likeness. So you seek Christ. You make effort to walk in obedience to His God's Word. And the Spirit produces fruit, Christ-likeness within you, which is your purpose. That's the goal, your sanctification. Right? Good. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you again for your word which is given to us. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you that it is alive and active and is good for us, good for us to consume, good for us to take in. Thank you that it is applicable to our lives. And so God, help us to grow in this fruit of the Spirit. God, it's not just helping us to do it. Help us, God, to pursue after Christ, to follow after you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God, help us to trust you to work this spirit, the fruit of the Spirit within us. But grow us in these things, that we might more accurately re- reflect Christ, and that our lives might more glorify you. So we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.